You are about to listen to a message from David Bendet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's desire is to see people lit on fire by God's love, His Word, and His presence. So prepare yourself to be inspired by the wind and the Word, and get fired up about what God's doing today. One of the main reasons why I came to the Lord was because I needed a dad, a dad that I never had. I didn't come to the Lord because of hell. I didn't come to the Lord because I was a sinner. I didn't come to the Lord because of fear. I came to the Lord because I had been abandoned by my earthly blood father. And I had neglect and fear in my life. I had this desire to always measure up and perform for everyone and everything to get acceptance. I was orphaned. I had a single mom that did the best that she knew to do. She had to work two jobs. I know she loved me. I know she cared for me. I know she did the best that she could. But still, even then, I was orphaned and fatherless. 24, 25 years ago, while following the Grateful Dead around the country with my boy, <laughs> D, I'd go to Grateful Dead concerts. I'd be eating grilled cheese in the parking lot, wearing tie-dyes and smoking doobies. And here would come the old fogies from the church down the way in their suits with their signs that said, turn or burn, repent or perish. And many people try to come and preach the gospel, and many people would catch me here or there in Atlanta at the Omni. I'd have these different evangelists, and so many times their approach would be a turn off rather than a turn on. All I knew of Christianity was religion, was boring, was go through the motions. In my day, there wasn't a band like this. There wasn't a people like this and a church like this that I ever saw. Doesn't mean they weren't around, but I didn't get to hear and see and experience what you're getting to hear and see today. And so I was turned off. And I was running and chasing for peace, love, and happiness everywhere I could find. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. And I found it. I found it, but it was temporary. When the concert was gone and the show moved on or when Jerry died, who I put all my trust in, Jerry Garcia, and all the things that I pursued after, when it faded away, the temporary lo love that I had in my heart, I would have to chase after it. When I was playing in reggae bands and South Miami Beach and Coconut Grove and getting high and drinking margaritas on full moon nights with swaying palm trees and the ocean at my feet, when the party was over, the sex was done, and the alcohol and drugs wore off, there was a hole inside of me. It was something that I couldn't explain, and no preacher could come along and adequately explain it to me. The approaches of evangelism and the things that people were trying to show me was a turnoff, but inside of me, I had the theory of relativism, and that was that all roads led to God, you just didn't know it. And whatever worked for you works for you, whatever it is, this this coffee cup. If I meditate on it enough, this coffee cup can be my higher power. And I would seek after things and meditate on crystals and pursue all the things of this world to find comfort, and it brought it, but it was only temporary. And in 1992, when Hurricane Andrew hit, my world came crashing down. 300,000 people homeless. It was like a nuclear bomb in South Florida. Just before that, I was on my way to a Grateful Dead concert when I got busted for 17 hits of LSD. I was facing a minimum of 18 months with a maximum of five years in prison when it rained, it poured. What the enemy met for evil, God turned for good. When I first discovered my first set of bongos at a Miami Grateful Dead concert and played till my hands bled, today I play and worship the Lord with all my might and strength, and I don't have to smoke or drink to... Get a high. The point is, is that God transformed my life and what the enemy meant to crush and kill and destroy me, God had marked me. God had had a purpose on my life just like you, 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 and every one of you. Because Psalm 139 says that in your mother's womb you were fearfully and wonderfully made. That David said in the most difficult time, he said, when I was in the depths of the earth, you knew me. In my mother's womb, you knew me. Before the foundations of the world, he set a course, he set a discourse, he set a purpose and a destiny for your life before you were ever born. God had a purpose and a plan for my life, and I chase after everything and anything 
to find that love and to find that acceptance and to find the people. And I was the most fired up, happiest Dave TV was my nickname. <laughs> DTV came right from just a gigolo, David Lee Roth. All Dave, all night. That was me back in the 80s and 90s. And my wife's going like, oh my gosh. I have no idea what he's talking about. But I'm telling you this for a reason. Because my identity and my nature of what I was trying to chase after was found in my own charisma and my own strength. And when it all came crashing down, when my life had come in what seemed to be an end, when I had hit rock bottom, my end became his beginning. Oh, I was riding along doing my thing, and the trap was sprung. And when the trap was sprung, my life begun. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> the point that I'm trying to tell you is that I came to the Lord because I had read right after Hurricane Andrew some scriptures about building your house on the sand versus the rock. I read that the Lord was a potter and I was the clay. And that when the clay spun out of whack, the potter came and crushed it down and remade the clay into something better and more beautiful. I learned when my house came crashing down, literally through a hurricane, that I built my house on the beach because I was a beach bum. I loved going to the beach. And you can't build your house on the beach. You can't build your house on sand. And I learned that. And the Lord showed me those in my own way. And I cried the most powerful prayer, the most pr powerful prayer you could ever say. It's one word, help. Lord, if you're really there, I really want to know you. As I cried and wept, as I sat on a balcony on the fourth floor in Saga Bay, weeping and crying and trying to meditate and smoking doobies, and it was 100 degrees with mosquitoes, and everything was destroyed, nuclear war zone in front of me, eating from Red Cross shelters, flushing the toilet with dirty sewer water from the lake. I was in a living hell. But David said in Psalm 139, even if I make my bed, even if I purposely stretch out, put out a dwelling place in the darkest of places, his presence is there. Psalm 139. In fact, even if I said the darkness is surrounding me and going to kill me, David understood that to the Lord, the darkness even becomes light and that to the Lord, darkness and light are the same. It's not a big deal because he has the ability in fact, he has already overcome it. And so I discovered the fact that I could have the dad that I never had. And the number one reason why I came to the Lord was because I needed a father. And I needed a father that would love me the way I really, really wanted and needed to be loved. That was the number one reason, Abba. It's the Hebrew name for father, and it's the name that means you have entitlement. It means that I can take your last name, walk into your house, and your food's my food, your bed's my bed, your car's my car, I'll take the car keys, I'm going for a ride. That's what Abba means. It means that when you were orphaned, which every single person in this room was orphaned, and some of you may be, it means when you were without hope and fatherless, he rescued you and adopted you and now made you a son. It's the greatest message in the Bible. If I could preach only one message for the rest of my life, it would be sonship and identity. Everything has to start with sonship and identity. And that's what I needed the most because my father, my Jewish father, who was a multimillionaire, left my mom and I when I was one and wanted my mom to have an abortion and didn't want me. And hence neglect and abandonment was put into my life. And so I had fear and shame and then I took control by always trying to please you and measure up and perform for you. It's a subtle form of self-preservation. It's a subtle form of trying to get your acceptance, but it's really me preserving and protecting myself. I hope you like me. I'm going to do everything I can to measure up. And then we take it right into the Lord. And early on in my church history, I learned this type of dysfunction with the Lord. Because if you've been saved as long as I have in the church of those days, everything was about performance. If you do your devos, if you're more disciplined, if you read your Bible enough, if you're good enough, if you give, if you do all these things that it will go well for you. And if you do your devotion, great day. But don't do your devotion, bad day. God's pleased with you if you do right. He's angry at you if you do wrong, and that is a lie. We have a warped perception, and Christianity has even done more damage to give a poor reflection of who God really is. And so God raises up a breed like me and a person like you 
He's raising up a new army of people that don't conform, that are non-conformist. Everybody say non-conformist. He's taking square pegs that were always tried to be jammed into round holes, and he's saying, I'm making a new square hole so that you can fit. It's what he's doing in this day and age. It's a new day for the church. It's about understanding how much God really loves and cares because it's his love and his kindness that causes you to want to do the right thing. You have an obligation to love people right. You have an obligation to reflect and represent the kindness and the beauty and the wonder of the Lord no matter what the other person does to you. Whether they accept it, whether they take hold of it or not, it doesn't matter. You have a responsibility. How I live and how I love is never predetermined on how somebody else does, ever. We get swayed and moved because a family member did you wrong. A lover stabbed you in the back. Somebody didn't care for you. And we fall into victim and pity party mentalities instead of rising up to the occasion and saying, if I really want to see transformation and change in my circumstances, then I have to become it. Because if you want to see a difference, you become the difference. And you stop looking to everyone else to do it. You become it for yourself. Because I can't be responsible for my wife. But I have a responsibility to reflect life and love to her. She has an obligation before the Lord to grow and to learn and to love right. And whether she does or doesn't, my position can't change. And trust me, I'm not. We're a great work in progress. That's the beauty of marriage. I'm telling you, a great work in progress. Oh, man, the hardest thing sometimes, but God will work it right on out of you and teach you this principle really well. And so for 24 years, I loved and I proclaimed, and I never turned back, ever. I had family members tell me, this is just a crutch. He's going to change. He just got saved because he went to prison. A lot of people told me that. And it was a process. A lot of failures, a lot of mistakes, and thank God I didn't have weird religious people coming at me and forcing me and trying to cram stuff down my throat instead I have a loving God that held my hand and slowly over time he taught me who he was and I've been in this whole long season of undoing what was done some of you need a complete rewiring in your mind you need a complete new understanding of who the Lord is and how he loves you because you're living in the past and you got a dysfunctional mindset based on the TV preacher based on the church you went to when you were a kid, based on what your parents may have said, based on what your friends, based on those guys I saw on the street corner, because if that was Christianity, I didn't want anything to do with it. And you, because of what somebody did to you, you're holding it against God. If that's the way a Christian is, I don't want anything. Those Christians, lying hypocrites. And we take it right to the Lord, and we live isolated, and we separate ourselves instead of getting closer and bonding together because God brings the hurting and the broken and the sick and the dysfunctional and he heals them. This is more like a hospital, not a palace. The great physician came because people were sick. Does a healthy person need a doctor? No. Who does? A hurting, broken, sick, lost, and dying. And we're the first ones that have to take the mask off and stop pretending and stop playing the motions of religion in church and being authentic. God is looking for authenticity. Grow your hair, I don't care. I don't care what you look like, because I'm looking on the inside. Unrefined man is looking on the outside. I don't care about tattoos, piercings, it doesn't matter to me. I'm looking at the heart inside of you to see what God has planted inside of you, and I'm going to water, nurture, and call forth the garden inside of you. Now, I'm just getting started, and I'm fired up today because it's my birthday. Hey, hey, cake, cake and ice cream. It's your birthday. I mean, there's got to be a song somewhere. Something radically shifted in my life when I had children. I had an understanding, I had a love for the hurting and the broken and the lost and the orphan because I was. And so because he rescued me, I now have a love for God's people and those that are estranged from him, like never, I don't care who you are, where you are, everywhere. 6 a.m., I'm sitting at the gas station, it's pouring rain. 
There's two people crying, been strung out on drugs all night long, weeping. I could see them weeping. Pouring rain, strung out, meth all night, sores on their body. She's weeping. It's cold. It's rainy. It's 6 a.m., and I got to get ready for today. And I back my car right up and get out in the rain and walk right up, and I give them a big hug, and I don't care, and I look them right in the eyes, and I said, God is showing up in your life. You go to my coffee shop, and you get a coffee, you get a muffin, get whatever you need. It's on me. And I said, listen, uh, thank you, but I'm not looking for that. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, I looked at them, I said, look at me, and they looked me in the eyes with shame and hurt and brokenness and destitute. And I said, God loves you because the Lord says we're his hands and feet. And if you're looking for bright, shining angels everywhere and all the supernatural stuff to occur to you for you to believe in God, things floating in the air and all these super phenomena, let me tell you God's super phenomena, tag, you're it. And you become God's hands and feet, and you suddenly show up on the scene shining bright because you're in position always. And you're not worried about your next thing or your next coat or your next meal. That's what the pagans do. Always worried, always fearful, always afraid of your next thing. Where's my next meal? Where's my next clothes coming from? And it creates anxiety in your life. And you know what anxiety is in the Greek? It's the word meteorite, and it means you're a detached rock flying through space. Think of a sci-fi Star Trek movie. You're in a meteor storm, and there's detached rocks everywhere. And that's why the Lord said to Peter, who was a detached rock, on this rock, him, I will plant and build my church. You've been detached. You have been detached. Now I'm going to rehook you into the promise of the Messiah and I'm going to cause you to become, and the gates of hell will never prevail against your life. And so when I had children, I started experiencing something I'd never experienced before. If you got kids, you know what I'm talking about. And I started looking at my kids, and have, I had such a swelling heart of love for them that I began to identify in a unique way with the Lord of how he feels about me. And suddenly I started to have all this revelation about God's love for me based on the love I was having for them. And then one month ago, my wife was 32 weeks pregnant, and we lost our daughter, stillborn, birth at 32 weeks, and we endured 37 hours of pure living hell, of death of a child that I held in my hands, and in the midst of it, God's presence was there. And something happened after that. I suddenly had this new depth of love for you, but most importantly, my own children. And it wasn't a fearful thing, but it was a reminder of the temporary moment and the fleeting days of life. The days may feel long, uh, long but the years are short. And all y'all that had kids tell me that all the time. And before you know it, it's going to pass by you. I've heard it a million times, and I know it at my age. The days are flying by. But now that I lost a, have lost a child, when I look at my children, it's not that I'm afraid or that something's going to happen, but I have this greater profound desire and understanding to live in the moment and to suck the marrow of life every minute of it and stop living in tomorrow because I already know before I know it, they're going to be off on their own, doing their thing, having kids, and living their own life. I don't get these minutes and these days back. And so I have this depth of appreciation. Same for you. I look at you guys with that. I have eternity in my heart. So when I see you, I see you in a year, two years, five years, ten years, not for who you are now. And what I do see now is I see God's design and framing of your life and purpose and intent. I have to see the way God sees her. I will not love right. I'll be a religious weirdo, and I'll try to make you conform to my pattern instead of his pattern. And that's what makes this community incredible because people are being conformed to his pattern now instead of having to be uniformed to mine. And so one of the things that's started happening is I started sh – I've always been very affectionate, but I've – just wanted to hold them more, love them more, tell them more. And I was walking last week with my two children and my poodle, Labradoodle. 
I got my dog. I got Zion sitting in the red flyer wagon. We're walking to the park at sunset. Cadence is on her Strider bike, just kicking her legs right in front of me, giggling. Zion's eating goldfish. I got my little portable Bluetooth player pumping reggae. We were a sight to be seen. I mean, we were like suburba, suburbia America. Minus the Starbucks cup. And I'm just moving along, and we're pumping to the reggae ABCs by Christ of Far Eye. Then we're singing Haya, 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 Stomp Satan Loa. We're just cruising along. My kids are eating goldfish. Cadence is giggly. Dogs jump in on me. And I sucked in the moment, and I looked at my kids, and I said, Cadence and Zion, I love you both so much. I just love you so much. And they didn't even acknowledge my existence. <laughs> I mean, they were like, who are you? Just keep pulling that wagon. <laughs> and I've been telling my kids I love you so much lately. And it's, I tell them so much, and my actions back it up. Action has to back up. See, love is a verb. Love means you do something. Yes, there's a feeling component, but action always comes first. What my friend will know after 24, 25 years is no matter what, I will love you. No matter what he does or doesn't do, I don't care. No matter what, I'm going to demonstrate love because love always produces the feeling. The action produces the feeling. That's why the Bible says God had to demonstrate. He demonstrated his love that when you were in your darkest hour, when you were without hope and fatherless, when you were completely wrecked by sin and missing the mark in your life, he gave his son. And when he gave his son, he shed, everybody say shed, abroad his love into our hearts by giving his life on the cross. He would have to lay his life down and become the final sacrifice. And on October 13th, when Yom Kippur comes, we'll be reminded of, the high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies every year to make atonement for the sacrifices of sin, but will be reminded even more that one perfect spotless land did it once and for all, and now it's done. All we got to do is come to him. But we re we're reminded. We're reminded of our depravity without him. We're reminded. See, the Jewish people will fast for 10 days, as a, as a representation of putting yourself into suffering because of how much sin is in their lives. Rosh Hashanah leads to Yom Kippur, 10 days of submitting yourself to leading to the Day of Atonement. But we will fast for 10 days, not to make yourself suffer, but to receive and believe and make a sacrifice for the more that God has in store. We're fasting October 3rd to the 13th. So that we can get everything God wants. Not to get him to do more. This isn't a manipulative, God, I'm going to do this to get you to do it. It's putting me in position. It's saying, you know what? The time I'd spend on Facebook, the time I'm watching The Voice, the time that I do all my own thing, I'm going to sacrifice that time. I'm going to sacrifice my own soulish desires because I want more of him. I'm so desperate. That's why Jesus said when the bridegroom's with his disciples, he was questioned about why John's disciples weren't fasting, and Jesus said, because I'm here. But when I go, they will, because they're going to want me so much. And so I've been telling my children how much I love them so much. I mean, I like, I'm like, man, maybe I'm saying it too much. No, no, just hear me out. It's like sometimes, you know, I say it so much, it's just be, it could become other words. But my actions are backing it up. And I said it, and they didn't even acknowledge me. And I had the fleeting thought, maybe I'm saying it too much. And instantly, I heard the voice of the Lord. Loud and clear, and he said, no, son, you can never say it too much. In fact, I care about you and think about you and love you more than you love your own children. And he said, my thoughts towards you are endless. They never stop. And I want to tell you I love you and show it to you a thousand times a day. 
and instantly I was taken to Psalm 139, verse 17. This is a powerful scripture. And for those of you that are visiting and don't know me, let's pull the scripture up. I'm half Greek and I'm half Jewish. So I'm fascinated by the meanings of Hebrew and Greek words because it's a treasure hunt for me. The word of God, the Bible, is like a hologram or a drill-down box. And when you turn it just the right way, what the image you thought you were looking at changes, and there's more behind the story. And so I go on treasure hunts. I love to dissect the word. I love to look deeper into what the meanings of the words mean because it, it helps me to have greater epiphanies. Everybody say epiphany. It makes you go, ah, I get it now. You can't just haphazardly take a scripture and fly through it. You meditate, you chew on it, you ponder, you listen, you ask the Lord what it means. And when the Lord said to me, I think about you more than you even think about your kids, and I love you even more, and I'm telling you I love you and showing it to you all the time, you can never say it enough. I was brought to the scripture. Now, this is a powerful scripture, so I'm going to break it down for you. First of all, the word precious. The word precious means highly esteemed, prized, and rare. Now, it's not that God's speaking to you is rare. The most sold book all over the world is the Bible. What makes it rare is that people don't take what God says and how he feels about them serious or they take it for granted. Now, my kids are three and two. They're not taking for granted what I say, but they're not overly understanding and thinking about it. But it'd be like me saying, man, Jesus loves you. I love you. And he's got a plan and a purpose. And let me tell you what God says about you. And you go, oh, that's nice, bro. That's nice, sister. And we just go our own way. And we take it for granted. God's word must become precious to us. And we must understand how he feels about us because it's highly esteemed. His word is valuable. It's a treasure chest. It's precious. And it's costly. The word thoughts, the first meaning of this word thought is rea, and it means to have an aim towards your life and a purpose. But the root word is ra'a, and it means to tend to your life like a shepherd and to lead you into green grass, still waters, and the promises that the Lord has for you as an interacting friend and shepherd to your life. So what he's saying is the thoughts that I'm thinking about you are designed as a shepherd to lead you through the valley of shadow of death, through your most difficult hour to still waters and green pastures. It means to put out to graze or to pasture. It means that he is the ultimate shepherd that loves you and the best friend that cares for you, and he's aiming his purposes and his thoughts towards your life. And if you're not careful, you'll disregard them. And you won't make them precious. It'll be just another word, just another nice thing. That's great, brother, but, but I got my life to live. I got my own thing to do. You don't understand my situation. That's nice. You, another Christian Sunday morning church thing. Oh, just preaching Bible at me. And we got people that don't know the Lord and how, they feel, how he feels about them and are misguided. And in turn, it's causing you to wander aimlessly because you don't know this God. Some of you do, some of you don't. Most people outside of these walls don't. So his thoughts towards us are an aiming like an archer designed to get you to where he wants you to go. And then David says, how great is the sum of them? The word great means powerful, mighty. The word great means that what he is is what I become. Because he's great, I become great. And it's his great thoughts that bind me together to him and to each other. For example, when you know that I love you and care for you, when we tell each other what we see inside of them, when they know how you feel and you express that, a binding happens in your life with each other and with the Lord. So I ponder and I meditate on his thoughts and I realize they're actually great for my life. They're great in some, and they're great in number, but the word for great in the Hebrew is the word rosh, where we get rosh Hashanah. It means the beginning, the head, the captain, the chief. 
It means that he is the highest height, the beginning, the alpha, and the omega. It means that God's thoughts towards me are the beginning of my life and the end of my life because they're nothing but good, prosperous, beneficial, and satisfying. So we're not singing, I can't get, no, no more Rolling Stones. You don't have to live in no satisfaction. You don't have to be Rodney Danger Brown, I can't get no satisfaction. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but hey, I got some old school in me. I got old school in me. So the Lord's thoughts towards you are great, and they make you great. They prosper you. They, when you understand how God thinks about you, they become you. If you spend enough time with me, what's inside of me will transform you. And people, that's why I don't have to preach, get to try to convert you. It's like, man, here comes pastor. I better stop cussing. No, just be yourself. I don't care. Oh, man, pastor, just try to convert me. No, I'm not. I'm going to love you so well that if you stay around me, you can't help but experience what I've got, and you're going to want it. And that's why Paul said, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's inside of you. And my radiation light and therapy coming out of me, no one can deny and it's 25 years and going stronger every day. Woo! Yeah! This isn't a made-up fire. This is truly going higher. Man, I'm in a rhyming mood today. He is full of loving compassion. I don't have time. Thank God I have the rest of my life. Thank God I get this microphone. Thank God I get to preach because I get an opportunity to remind you every week and every day and you need reminding and that's why we sang the song today because when you get in a dysfunction and isolated and you don't know who he is, you need to know and be reminded at a time. That'd be just like me saying, I love you. Don't ever forget it no matter what. I'm always there. And when you think you don't or think that I don't, never forget that I'm there for you. And when, even if my love doesn't measure up, even when man's love fails, his love never fails. Amen. So the totality, the completeness, the sum of it all, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the start of your new life, the end of the old, everything comes from how God feels and thinks and loves and cares and identifies you. And that's why identity has to be number one. So Jesus comes on the scene he spent 30 years figuring out who he was. He had to grow into the understanding that he was the Messiah. At 12, he's sitting in the temple, 12 years old, and they're saying, and the Messiah, 333 prophecies in the Old Testament and the Torah. 333 times prophesied about Jesus. And here comes Jesus sitting at the, at the temple, and they're saying, and the Messiah will be born of a virgin. He goes, wait a minute. My mama was a virgin, and the Messiah will be born in Jerusalem. Wait a minute. I was born in Jerusalem, and he gets the revelation. Number one, I must be about my father. More than religion, more than anything else, the first revelation Jesus got was, Daddy, wait a minute, this makes sense. My whole life I've been getting all these signs and growing up with my parents, going to temple and learning how to build tables from my dad, the carpenter. And now I'm finally starting to realize and see that this measures up and points to who I'm called to be. And then at 30, John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan. He, Jesus walks on the scene, John 1.8. And John screams out, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Identity discovered. And bam, he goes into the water to get baptized before he's done anything else in his entire ministry. Day one, 30 years old comes out of the water, heaven's open, and what happens? Daddy speaks. And Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I love him. Because if you've never heard I love you and you've never heard how much the Lord cares for you, had Jesus done anything yet in his ministry? No. And yet God identified him as his beloved son whom he well pleases. So I can look at you no matter where you're at and identify with telescopic long-term vision how God sees you. Because that's how God identifies people. 
but we want to look at all their jacked up dysfunction and be angry and mad and bitter and unforgiving and isolated and family separated and we're mad at each other instead of seeing through the eyes of Christ and you'll never see through the eyes of God until you see how he sees you ever I'm like man Lord how much do you really think about me and he said oh next verse in fact if you were to try to count how much the Lord thinks about you it's more than the sand on the seashore I tell you that's a lot of thoughts because if I take one handful of sand I can't even count it you're in your best day you can't even count half a handful of sand and he says I think about you so much my thoughts towards you are endless you can't even count them and the word count means to recount take account to rehearse and to meditate and to think upon. If you were to try to meditate nonstop all the time, every day, and think about how much he thinks about you, you couldn't even count them. The problem is, is most of you don't know that. And so David says, listen, if you read Psalm 139, he's surrounded by darkness. He's surrounded by enemies. And he's, he's even said, darkness is around me. I'm making my bed. No matter where I go, hell, heaven, whatever it is, God is there. I mean, read the psalm. In my mother's womb, God, you're there. Search me, know me. Drive back my enemies. All these things, a beautiful psalm. And he says, when I awake, you're still with me. Let me help you understand. I've had countless, countless sleepless nights. And instead of counting sheep, when you're laying on your bed, David's saying, even in my darkest night, when I am in my darkest moment and I fall asleep meditating and pondering and I wake up, you're still there. Even when I'm far from him and not sleeping in my darkest moment, when I think awake, don't just think morning, think when I come out of my sleep and my slumber, whew, the Lord never gave up. He was always there, and he's never given up on any one of you. Tell the devil he's a liar and to shut up because I'm telling you, God cares. And until he comes back, you got a second chance, 10th chance, 50th chance, 500 chance. I don't care how many bridges. You may have burned it to ashes, but he'll trade out those ashes for something beautiful, the Bible says. So the Lord says he's still with us. Now, you know that I like to take, take the breakdown of these scriptures and I like to take all of these treasure hunts and reword them for you in my language. I paraphrase the Bible. I write it in a way that makes sense to you. So let's go back to verse 17. I'm going to take all that I just taught you on verse 17. I'm going to read to you what the Lord showed me from this scripture. You guys ready? I already taught it to you, but I was going to read it to you. I love to do this. Is that all right? God's thoughts are aimed at us for a purpose, his desire is to be intimately acquainted with us and for us to be intimately acquainted with him. He desires to take care of you, nurture you, and satisfy you completely. He is a shepherd and a friend who actively interacts with our life, and his plans are good in every way. The Lord's thoughts towards you are so valuable and so rare that most people don't even hear or know them, and you can sit in this service, check your phone, want to go out and do something different, and be checked out to lunch, and even miss the Lord telling you right now how much he loves you because we're doing our church duty, the right thing. So we take him for granted. Don't do this. Don't be that person. Don't be checked out. Don't miss what God has in store for your life. He always wants to show you and speak to you. Make them the most valuable treasures in your life. And when you do, they become you. This will make you. And you will radiate the same love and care out of your being for yourself and for others. This is true light. Jesus is the true light that came into the world. He's the light of the world. Then he makes us the light of the world. By doing this, his love and care melts us like wax. Transforms us. By crushing every hard way and hard place that's inside of us. The word great also means to crush the bones and shut the eyes. You say, what do you mean crush my bones and shut my eyes? Let me help you understand. 
When I close my eyes and meditate on who the Lord is, I turn out the distractions and the things of this world. The premise is, is that God puts me into a place of rest and position. And now out of that place, I'm not distracted, but I'm always ready, willing, and able at any time to do what he wants. And his word has a way of melting me and bring me back to original intent because you were never formed out of bones. You were formed out of dust. And so the Lord's word comes and melts down your life so that he can refine you into pure gold. This way of thinking strengthens you, makes you strong. And in turn, it binds us together with him, then each other, and it creates a trust and confidence that every son and daughter desperately needs in your life. It's not arrogance, haughtiness, and cockiness. It's boldness and confidence in who I am and my identity. When we ponder and hear his precious thoughts over our life, we're well taken care of, and we fall more in love each day. This love comes from above and flows down from the headwaters like a mighty rushing river, and it's the best water for your soul. Everything starts and ends with the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's your captain. He's your forefront of your entire life, your chief, your prince of peace, and the sum of everything you long for and everything you could ever need or want. All that from that scripture. Now I'll go to the next scripture. Here's verse 18. God never stops thinking about you. His thoughts are endless and his actions always back them up. I've learned by listening and pondering his words and his goodness for many, many years. And I know how he feels about me and about you. I know it. As I have rehearsed his words a thousand times on countless sleepless nights, when darkness surrounded me and death stared me right in the face, God took aim at my life. And he declared light to my night. I'm a learned man now. I talk with him, I walk with him, and he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death and on to green pastures and still waters. I've become a tree planted by the rivers of living water, and I'm fed by his light, watered by his word, and nourished by his love. My leaves always stay green. No matter what life circumstances throw my way or your way, the economy, ISIS, the presidency, our nation. God has called you to be prosperous, Jeremiah 17 and Psalm 1, that no matter what comes around, he always brings strength and resilience to your life so that you have fruit that's right for the picking. So when my friend comes 25 years later, I have food and fruit to feed him, fruit of the spirit, love, patience, kindness, tenderness, gentleness. And if you spin out, I pat you on the back. Say, I love you. It's going to be all right. Because we'll spin out. It happens to the best of us. But God's unwavering love and strength for me brings a resilience to bring it now to other people's life. You're immovable. You're unshakable. And if I was shaken for a moment, all it did was shake out anything in my life that needed to go. Birds can take refuge, the hungry can eat, and lambs can grow. Because I'm a son, and because he is, I am. Everybody say, because he is, I am. Because he did it, I can. So you can choose to live in a world of dysfunction and isolation and addiction and pain and hurt, separated from the promises of God, or you can make a choice. And that choice will do something so great for you. It will transform you and make you into a new creation who God always intended you to be. You do not have to die prematurely in addiction, hurts, pains, and separated from his love. Never, ever. Finally, when it comes to how God feels about us and what he's thinking, we'd be amiss to not look at Jeremiah's revelation. And while I'm going to read this, I'd like the band to come up. Jeremiah 29. Now, before you pull, actually pull up verse 10, let me set the stage for you in this verse, in this whole chapter, actually. Babylon.com. Israel's been led off to captivity in there in Babylon. Jeremiah's writing a letter, and he says to Israel, after 70 years, 70 means completion. In fact, if you read earlier, if you read earlier in this chapter, I'm going to rock your world right now. If you read earlier in this chapter, the Lord says, listen, I know you're in captivity, 
because of what you did, this caused this, and now I've put you there to teach you. And here's what he says. While you're in captivity, I want you to go ahead and have a lot of sons and daughters because I need you to, to become a mighty army because I'm going to call you out. And you're not going to die or diminish. You're actually going to pro- go read Jeremiah 29 earlier in the, in the chapter. And he says, start having babies, sons. I get a lot of sons, and I know feels like you're in captivity. Oh, man, America, presidency, bondage. My nation, a bunch of crap of how we were never, ever designed to live. Sorry if I offended you with crap, but hey, it's just coming out of me the way it's coming out of me. We're apathetic, and we're angry, and we're negative, and we're pessimistic, and we were never designed to live this way. Our kids can have an awesome future. And you know what? I'm not swayed by Trump, Hillary, ISIS. I am swayed by the promises of God, and I move towards whatever he intends because he's taken aim like an archer, and he's propelling me where he wants me to go. So after 70 years are completed, he says, I'm going to perform. Now, the word perform, the direct meaning of the word perform means I'm going to arise. He's going to arise, and he's going to visit you in the midst of the darkest moments of Israel's history. And if you think you're in your darkest moments, and wherever you're at, here's what the Lord wants to do. He doesn't say, you've made your own bed, now lie in it. Instead, he said, start praying for peace, and if you'll pray for the peace of Babylon, you'll have peace. Read it earlier in the chapter. And then he says, guess what? A holy visitation. Visitation Visitation.com. Visitation. Visitation. You you can run, but you can't hide. You can bang your head against the wall a million times, but at some point, when God marks your life, you're either going to surrender or die. Woo! Yeah! We got some gospel preaching in here today. So when your trial and your testing is completed... When the 70 completed, if you will walk through this fiery trial the way God intends and responds right and stop trying to jump out of the firing pan, but let him do his work and refine you, I'm sorry, I understand, I know it's hard, I wish I could stop it all, but it happens. And when it happens, your response is critical. When it doesn't make sense and it seems like all the world around you is sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock, you stand. I ain't faking it till I make it, everybody. Stick around. He says, I'm going to visit you and I'm going to perform. This isn't puppet show. This is I'm going to arise and demonstrate to you how great I am in your life because he's good. And he's going to perform his what? His, everybody say good word. Say it again, good word. Good word means I'm aiming something at your life and guess what? It's a good thing. And mine is earthly to a degree. His is heavenly. And I'm aiming at you. And he's aiming at you. And now his aim becomes my aim. And I'm going to speak a good word everywhere I go. My confession and my profession, even if, if there's a death, imminent death right in front of me, I will profess life. And we did. We professed resurrection till the day we held her in our hands and still did it then. And if it didn't happen, that means the story just changed. It didn't go one way, but it's going another way. And I'll be just as on fire no matter which way it goes because I'm following the shepherd who's taken aim and leading me through the va- leading me through it, not stopping camp, set up camp. You're going to die there. Oh, my gosh, freak out fear. No, he's going to give you a rod and a staff, his axe and his ways, and I'm going to show it to you. You're going to walk through that valley of the shadow, and on the other side is green pastures and still waters. He knows the thoughts he thinks towards you and the returning to the place. What's the place, everybody? The city of peace, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. God wants to bring you back to peace. Next verse. He knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you. Just just enjoy this ride for a minute. We're going to worship and we're going to pray for you. Let me just proclaim over you. This word for thoughts means created and invented. He invents you and creates you through his thoughts over your life to become something you never were before. That's what that word for thoughts means. Different than Rhea and Ra. This one is, is now what I'm thinking about you is, I think I'm going to make you into something you never were. 
I think I'm going to invent you to be a prototype like you never were. It's what the Lord does. And those thoughts bring peace. They're not of evil. And they give you a future. Hence, he's taking aim to take you somewhere. God has good plans for our lives. A future. Everybody say a future. A hope. Peace. And life. That's how he thinks. And if you get sidetracked, if you don't understand, you'll spin out. And you'll get off track and you'll miss the mark. That's actually what sin means. It means to miss the mark. It means it's not his best. That's all. He had better and you missed it. That's okay. Get back up. You got another chance. Hey, you failed. You bombed it. 100 times relapsing. Doesn't matter. You got the chip 50 times over. You're not the only one, by the way. There's a lot of a lot of recovering addicts in this place. And, and it's a messy process sometimes. But you know what? You know that every time you can come back and get love here. Every time. Come out of shame. Come out of hiding. Stop living in shame. Stop living in fear. What are you afraid of? What are you ashamed of? The Lord loves you. He's not, he could have killed Adam and Eve in the garden, but instead he said, come out, come out wherever you are. I got a new covering for you. I know you bombed it. They thought he was going to kill him. That's why they were afraid. But instead God said, I'm going to cover you. I'll take you all the way back to the garden. And then verse 12 says, you're going to be able to pray and call upon him. And you know what he's going to do? I'm listening. But you got to call. He's listening, but you have to call. You have a responsibility to cry out. This is the word Korah. Jeremiah 33, 3. I know it well. Call out. Lord, I need you. I need help. God, I'm crying out to you from the depth inside of me. And he goes, I heard authenticity. I, thir- I heard somebody desperate. I heard somebody that can't do it anymore that's at their end. And here I come to rescue you. And I'm listening, and then the next verse, verse 13. If you'll seek me, you'll find me, but the key is to seek. The key is to do it with everything in you and stop pretending. Stop going through religious motions. You don't get a badge because you went to church today. You take off the front, and you go with all your heart. The greatest commandment of them all is to seek the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Take off the Sunday best, the best pretentious thing, and be authentic. Because if you seek him with all your heart, guess what? When I was lost, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. When I was a wretch, he saved a sinner like me. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up!